Well, it's great to see you uh, this morning. Great to be here. And uh, we want to welcome all our listeners uh, on YouTube as well. Thank you for tuning in and uh, watching this streaming service. Over the holidays, I read two articles that uh, piqued my interest. The first was the account of the Wright brothers' successful attempt to fly at Kitty Hawk Beach on December the 17th, 1903, which was exactly 115 years ago, a week last Monday. After several failed attempts, Orville Wright managed to get his engine-powered flying machine off the ground, marking one of the major breakthroughs of human history. That first flight lasted 12 seconds. It reached a speed of 6.8 miles an hour. It covered a distance of uh, 40 yards, 120 feet, and it reached the staggering height of 10 foot above the surface of the ground. Now, keep that in mind. The other article I read was about Richard Branson's new company, Virgin Galactica, and their futuristic-looking craft, Spaceship Two. There it is up on the uh, screen. And Branson says that that's going to take to the air commercially, probably, in 2019. He's offering paying guests a golden opportunity to go on a 90-minute supersonic flight to 50 miles above the Earth onto the edge of space. And already 700 people have secured their seats on that spaceship, ponying up $250,000 a pop for the privilege. Some of the first passengers are going to include Leonardo DiCaprio and Justin Bieber. Now, why am I telling you this? Well, advances like that to go from the flying machine to Spaceship Two are only possible because somebody refused to get stuck. They had a desire to make changes and they were determined to move forward. Now, by the same token, here's a list of things that 15 years ago weren't even in existence, but actually are part and parcel of probably the majority of people's lives sitting in this room this morning. Here they are. The iPhone, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, iPad, Netflix, Spotify, Apple TV, Chromecast, Google Maps, Pinterest, Dropbox, Kindle, and the list could go on and on and on. All the result of somebody wanting to move forward. So moving forward is the title of my message today. And if you turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1, we're going to read some verses from that chapter and then also from Joshua chapter 3. It's going to be a composite reading. We're going to jump about a bit. I'll tell you where to look, or if you prefer, you can see it on the screen behind me. So let's begin in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1. 
After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I will give to you, just as I promised to Moses. Verse 5. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Now chapter 3 and verse 3. As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Verse 4. You have not passed this way before. Verse 5. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders amongst you. Verse 8. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still. Verse 15. And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the time of harvest. Verse 16, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap. Verse 17, and the priests bearing the ark of the covenant stood firmly on dry ground, and all Israel was passing over. You could say, and all Israel was moving forward. But in order to move forward, Israel had to be postured in four different ways. And our reading today reveals what those postures are. And the amazing thing is, not only is that true for them, but it's also true for us. So we're not just looking at a history lesson here, we're also making application for ourselves as we move into this new year of 2019. What we don't want is for the clock just to tick the, the minutes away and for it to announce a new year and all that's very nice. But what we want to do, as well as going into a new year, we want to go into fresh purposes. We want to move forward in the will of God and in the plan of God and in the anointing of God to see what God wants to accomplish through Gateway Christian Community, Gateway Church, and the churches that you represent if you're visiting here today. So the first thing that they needed was vision. Look at chapter 1 and verse 2. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving them. Vision. A number of years ago, I was speaking at a meeting in uh, uh, Saskatchewan, and I got talking to a guy who said that uh, he drove a snowplow for the city of Regina. And he told me that he could be in the cab of his machine between 12 and 14 hours, particularly after a heavy blizzard. What he told me next, I'll never forget. 
He told me what the most useful thing was that he took with him. Interestingly, it wasn't a good heater to keep warm. And it wasn't a flask of coffee to keep awake. And it wasn't a cell phone to keep in touch. The thing that he found the most helpful to be able to endure such a grueling shift as that was a clear windshield. He said, our trainers have taught us to keep our windshields clear so we can easily see where we are going. Then we're in for the long run. And so it is spiritually. Clear vision is essential. When Helen Keller was two years old, she contracted a disease that left her blind, deaf, and dumb. And yet, amazingly, her teacher, Anne Sullivan, devised a way that she could communicate. She could communicate with the outside world, and the outside world could communicate with her. Someone once asked Helen, what could be worse than losing your sight and the ability to see the beauty of creation? Her reply was profound. There is one thing worse, having sight but not vision. Proverbs 29 verse 18 tells us, where there is no vision, the people perish. Paul prays for the Ephesians that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened. That's vision. And Jesus counsels the spiritually blind church of Laodicea to buy salve to anoint their eyes so that they might see. The issue was one of vision. In the spiritual context, vision means being able to see what God is doing. It's being aware that we are part of his grand plan. It's knowing that we individually and corporately have a calling on our life and a sense of destiny in our hearts. And it's understanding that where we are now and who we are now won't be the same as where we will be and who we will be a year from now. Because it's about moving forward. Some years ago, centuries ago actually, a nobleman visited a building site that was later to become the great cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris. And he asked a laborer, what are you doing? I'm hitting this rock to change its shape, came the reply. Moving on to another man, he asked him, what are you doing? Well, I've got to do whatever my boss tells me, he answered curtly. When he asked the same question of a third man, he received a completely different reply. He said, I'm building a cathedral. Two of those men had tasks, but one had vision. He knew he was part of something bigger. And that transformed what he had to do each day, the daily routine, into a sense of destiny that was throbbing in his heart. And in our reading, God gives Israel a vision. Cross the Jordan and go into the land. That land had been promised for centuries. And now the time had come for the promise to be fulfilled. 
And God gives them a vision of being able to embrace it after all those years of waiting. But God also tells us how they could embrace it. He said, first of all, Moses, my servant, is dead. In other words, don't look back. Don't live in the past, Israel. And God would say the same to us today. Unless we let it go, the past will, will hinder us from embracing the future. The past was good, but it was the past. And if we can't let go of the past, we are finished. We are stuck in the present and we'll never embrace the future. If we insist on clinging to what was good, we'll never be able to embrace what is better and what is best. And if we are constantly looking back, we'll never move into the future. We'll never move forward. And, Moses, and uh, God also said to Joshua, arise. That's an action word. Shake yourself. Shed your lethargy. Take your place. Always look forward. Get with the program, Joshua. And that's how we embrace vision. By getting with the program. But we have to understand what the program is. Do you know what the program is? Four times God mentions it in scripture. He mentions it in Numbers. He mentions it in Psalms, he mentions it in Isaiah, and he mentions it in Habakkuk. And the program is that the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You see, church, the earth does not belong to the devil. And the earth does not belong to human beings. The earth doesn't belong to evil regimes and powerful emperors. They may control it for a while, but actually the Bible tells us that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who dwell therein. And God has not moved from his primary purpose that this world will be filled with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. The truth is that planet earth will be the theatre in which the drama of God's will will be enacted on the stage of human history for the glory of his name. And God is committed to that and that's what you and I are part of. That's the grand scheme. That's the grand plan. That's the programme. That's what's motivating vision. And unless we see it and understand it, we'll never be able to move into it. That God has purposed that every country on the face of the earth will be filled with his glory. He's purposed that not hundreds or thousands or even tens of thousands, but hundreds of thousands and millions even will leave their sin behind, will come to the cross of Christ, will be dedicated to Jesus and will live their lives lost in wonder, love and praise, not in heaven, but here on the planet earth. And that's the knowledge of the glory of the Lord filling the earth as the waters cover the sea. 
And God says it's going to happen. It's going to happen in Uganda, in Uruguay, and Uzbekistan. It's going to happen in Rwanda and Russia and Romania. It's going to happen in Spain and South Africa and Senegal. It's going to happen in Wales. It's going to happen in the West Indies. And it's going to happen in Winnipeg. And it's going to happen in West St. Paul. That the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. No exceptions. As truly as I live, God says... And to underscore it, he repeats it four times. Knowing that, and knowing that what we do is part of that grand scheme, is about vision. That's the first thing. But there's a second posture here. There's a second paradigm. Look at chapter 1 and verse 5. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. And chapter 3 and verse 3, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. That speaks of presence. They weren't to move anywhere without knowing that God was present amongst them. Joshua knew that enthusiasm wouldn't get them into the land, that human strategy wouldn't be effective, that natural ability wouldn't cut it, that they were going to move forward only when they knew that God was in their midst. And the same is true for you and me. You know, the reason that we left England permanently uh, 29 years ago last Thursday and we came here to Canada, not for the climate, <laughs> not for the scenery, not for the lifestyle. We came for the presence of God. I visited this church a few months before, in fact a couple of years before, March 1987. And sat in this congregation when it was in the old building on Heaton Avenue, much smaller but God's presence was rich. And as I just sat there, stood there worshipping, never been in anything like it. And I knew that this is where God had called me and my family to be. It was about presence. We were visiting from the pad just a few months ago. I was sitting down here on this seat here. And uh, Will was leading the worship, and it came again, just the presence of the Lord. Well, you know what? There's nothing like the presence of the Lord. Nothing like it. What we were singing uh, today, what, what uh, uh, Caleb was leading us in and the team, that's, that's the truth. You know what? I can't, I can't get enough of it. The presence came. I just started bawling. I wasn't having a breakdown. I wasn't missing my friends in the par. I mean, sure, I, I missed you missed you guys. Still do, but it, it was the presence. You know, wonderful things happen in the presence of God. A month ago, we were in Thunder Bay. Good to have Kim with us here this morning. And uh, Val was 
speaking at a ladies' brunch they were having there one Saturday morning. And uh, she was preaching on Christmas grace, just how God stooped on that first Christmas and, and gave his son. And she testified how giving his son, God had touched her life. She told about the healing of her back years ago. And then she talked about how God had healed her just months ago from her gluten and lactose intolerance. And you know what? The presence of the Lord came. They were actually collecting um, items to make into hampers to give to girls in need. So God was attracted by that. You know, when we get onto God's agenda, he loves to come. And there was an unusual sense of God's presence there. Leslie, one of the ladies in the church, had brought her mum along. And she sat there, she was hunched over and unable to move without the help of a walking frame. And then, even with a walking frame, she couldn't walk in a straight line but always veered off to the left. MRIs showed nothing. But the fact was that, as well as that, she'd lost all her energy. She was lethargic. She had to sell her car. She had to move into a retirement home where she could be cared for because she just wasn't herself. And as she listened to Val preach and to give her testimony about healing, this lady said in her heart, wouldn't it be wonderful if God did that for me? I need God to heal me. Well, I don't know if it was the next day or a couple of days later, but she'd had lunch in the retirement home. She'd gone back to her room. And no sooner had she got in there than there was a knock at the door. One of the workers was there, and she said, Oh, you've left this behind. And it was her walking frame. So she thought... Well, how did I get up there, up from downstairs, up here, without that? Then she realized that she'd eaten her lunch, she'd got up from the table, she'd walked out of the dining room, she'd walked down the corridor, she'd walked into the elevator, she'd walked into her room, she was walking about in her room, and she was quite normal. She was without her hunch, she was without the stoop, she was walking without help and she was walking in a straight line and wouldn't you know it, all her energy was beginning to come back. Now when she met her daughter just a few days later, her daughter's jaw hit the floor when her mother walked in sprightly into the restaurant and she said, whatever happened to you? And mum, who isn't a Christian yet, said, God healed me at the ladies' brunch. Now, you know the wonderful thing about this story is that nobody laid hands on her. Nobody anointed her with oil. There wasn't a prayer team around her. And all those things are good and right and proper. But she received her healing by sitting in his presence, by enjoying his people, by listening to his word. And you know what? I, I couldn't help, when I learned that, 
earlier this week, I couldn't help thinking of those prophecies over this church about people being healed, passing by, and ambulances coming, people being healed in the worship, and healed in the preaching, and and just healed by being here, not because it's us, not because this is Gateway Church, but because God's here, because of his presence. And church, if we are going to move forward into what God has for us, Let's be a people of his presence. Let's make room for him corporately like we did today. Let's be on his agenda, not ours. Let's do nothing consciously to offend the Holy Spirit so the dove lifts his presence. Let's connect with God personally every day and corporately. That was great to see all those people there signing up for those corporate things. Val said, I couldn't get the slot I wanted. So she's gone back and we're probably in the middle of the night somewhere. That's all okay. Because it's about seeking God together. It's about presence. There's nothing spooky about it. This is normal. This is what we were made for. We were made to commune with the living God. That's what the Garden of Eden was all about. God coming down, fellowshipping with man. And that's what we have in Christ and much, much more. So, vision, presence, and now there's a third paradigm. They were to go into the land, but there was an obstacle in the way, the River Jordan. Today, it's just a trickle, but back then it was a mighty torrent, especially at springtime. When the meltwaters caused it to flow faster and the heavy spring rains even made it overflow its banks. Listen to what God said to them. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still. Now, what he meant was this. You priests, you lead the way. And that big obstacle that's there... The River Jordan, the swirling waters of the River Jordan. I want you to put on your heavy priestly vestments. I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant. I want you to go to the brink of the water. And I want you to jump in. That's exactly what he meant. That brings us to the third paradigm. Faith. What God told them to do made no sense at all. Humanly speaking, no sooner would they jump into that, dressed like that, carrying the ark, that the water would pull them under and they'd be drowned. It took faith to obey God's word. Let me put this a different way. God was telling them to take a risk. To attempt the impossible. To do what they'd never done before and to trust him with the outcome. And that's how we move forward. By taking risky steps of faith. Now for them, risky steps looked like jumping in a swirling river. But for us, it might look different. It might be offering to pray with your sick neighbour. 
It might be giving a testimony in the church. It might be signing up to teach a kids' church class. It might be inviting your friend to come to Christ or to at least tell them about Christ. Here's a good one. It might be starting to tithe. Now that's risky, but it's exciting because it's a step of faith. It's a command. And when we move in faith and obey God's commands, God will move towards us and undertake for us. It might look like moving to West St. Paul. Well, I think it does look like moving to West St. Paul. There's a risky step. But God's in it. And as we do that and obey him, I think what we'll find is that God will honor us. You see, faith always pleases God. He's already said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. With the priests, the moment they obeyed and jumped, the minute their sandals touched the river, the waters parted, the slimy riverbed was blacktopped, and they went over on dry ground. You see, when we step out, God steps forward. Why don't we say that together? When we step out, God steps forward. And the risky step of faith we take, he fills with his presence and establishes it. I used to visit a guy in Stony Mountain who um, was paying his debt to society for wrongs he'd done. And before he was on trial and got sentenced, uh, he was in the remand center. And he told me that in the remand center, there was a, a guy there that all the other men gave a wide berth to. He, he, he looked like a bulldog. He, he was mean and big and a bandana and a beard and tattoos all over him and big muscles. You, you get the impression. And the Lord said to Terry, Terry, why don't you ask him if you can tell him about me? And so Terry said, Lord, you've got to be joking. He, he's, not in, Lord, he's not interested. Look, he, look, he's not interested. Look at the size of him. Look at, look at his demeanor. Look, look at his face. I know he's not interested. The next day, Terry, why don't you tell him about me? And the next day, Terry, why don't you tell him about me? You know what, Terry? You could be in here a long time, and I'm going to keep knocking on your door until you talk to that guy about me. So he plucked up courage and he said, uh, <clears throat> would you mind if I uh, talk to you about Jesus? And the guy slammed his fist on the table and he, with the meanest look on his face, he said, I've been waiting for somebody to ask me that question for three weeks now. You see, when we step out, God steps forward. Well, moving forward means taking faith-filled risks. What's the first one? Vision. Vision. Presence. Faith. And finally, look at verse 17 of chapter 3. All Israel passed over on dry ground. Until the nation had finished. The fourth point is unity. 
The leaders gave the command, the priests led the way, and then the whole community got on board and crossed the river together. In fact, for the first time in the next chapter, they're called a nation. They're no longer a rabble. They're no longer grumbling and ungrateful and divided and self-preserving. Now they're a nation committed to vision, hungry for presence, willing to take risky steps of faith and ready to do it together. God, unity. You know what, folks? We don't go forward individually one at a time. Sure, we can make individual progress, but actually moving forward into the purposes of God is something we do together. It's a corporate thing. So guard unity, keep short accounts, resist gossip, refuse to take offense, move in unity. So what are the takeaways? Four takeaways for us. Number one, let go of the past. It might be a painful past. It actually might be a pleasant past. But if we live in it, We'll never embrace the future. We'll never move forward. Number two, cultivate God's presence individually by connecting with him every day. Corporately, by joining with friends throughout this time of prayer and fasting and beyond. Three, seek to take faith risks. Ask God to give you something to do that it requires faith to do. And you watch as you step out, he'll step forward. And then guard unity. Strengthen relationships that are drifting. Mend relationships that are broken. Resist breaking relationships that are costly or inconvenient. Now this morning, God woke me up early and I went downstairs and made myself a cup of coffee and started to wait on him for a bit. And he dropped some things in my heart. But Valley also gave you something. If you just want to come and share that now, please. Um, yes, this morning, God gave me the impression that there was at least one person here, but maybe some people, who had an appointment coming up. I don't know whether it's a medical appointment or a relational appointment Uh, or what it is, that doesn't matter, but you know that you have an appointment coming up. And you're not sure whether you're going to follow through or not. You're not sure whether you're actually going to keep that appointment. And the impression I had was that God was saying, you keep that appointment because actually it's my appointment. And you keep that appointment, and I will meet you in it. So if that uh, rings any bells with you, do come and see me, and we can pray about that together. But it is God's appointment, actually, and he will meet you in it. Thanks, Val. There were two areas that I I had some words for people in. And I, I, I saw people... Trying to move forward, but anchored in the past. There was a big stake going down there and a chain. And 
desirous as they could be, they couldn't move because they were anchored to something in the past. And I felt the Lord say that there's somebody here that's anchored in the loss of a child that's happened in your past. Now, that can be a miscarriage. It might be a a premature death. Um, But it's traumatized you and paralyzed you. And the effect of it has stopped you wanting to move forward, of wanting to take risks because of how you got hurt. And if that's you, I, I believe God wants to set you free. Secondly, I could see another person like this, except this time they were anchored to hurtful words that had been spoken. And and these words had gone like an arrow into them that pierced them, and it had actually pierced them to the spot they couldn't move forward. And I believe it's time to get rid of the offense and speak forgiveness. You know, we actually, we gave these same words of knowledge in the first service. I felt the Lord say, give them in both services. And I had a lady's permission. We were just down here and she came forward and she said the, 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 the words, that's me. She said that some people had said some words about family members and it's pierced me. And she said, every time I I see the person involved, I just want to give them a piece of my mind. She said, in fact, I've written them a letter. She said, actually, I've got it in my bag right here. But, but, and she took it out and she said, but I'm going to tear it up. Because I want to be able to move forward. And a third person in personal failure anchored to that spot of personal failure, never being able to receive the forgiveness of God. You've fallen down, but you never got up again. And God says to you, you've got a future. Receive my forgiveness, receive my restoration, and be able to move forward. Now, is there anybody here that wants to just own any of those words? If you just want to wave your hand... uh, then we'll, okay, there's, there's one. It's the loss of a child, hurtful words, personal failure. Any, 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 any other? Might be, okay, thank you. There's a couple, three. Okay, thank you, four. And it might be for people listening online too. We want to pray for you. And in a minute, Ken's going to come and facilitate that. But there was another group of people. And this group of people, it wasn't so much that they were emotionally or spiritually fastened to the past, but to literally move physically forward was painful. And I could see somebody with painful feet. And the the word that came to me was arthritic bones or or crumbling bones and and spurs on their heel. Um, But but walking, standing or walking is, is difficult. Then... Secondly, legs that don't work properly. And I felt this person was a runner, actually. But their hips and their knees were hindering them, certainly from running, even from walking. But I believe God wants to touch you so that in a physical way you can move forward. And, and then somebody whose inability to move forward quickly is because of a heart condition. 
And angina was the, the, the word that came to me. Um, but, but your heart condition means you can't be as active as you used to be. But I believe God wants to touch you this morning. Now, is anybody here in, those, in, in one of those three categories? Okay, thank you, thank you. Painful feet and, 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 and heels, uh, uh, hips and, and knees, particularly for a runner, and uh, a heart condition that stops you moving forward. Can you, would you mind just doing that again, please? Just so we, okay, thank you. We really want to pray for you this morning. What a great way to end 2000, uh, 2018 by having God touch you and leave those things behind so you can move forward both spiritually and even physically by the grace of God and receiving his love.